Welcome to Conference Talk, the show where we take a backstage look at all your favorite tech conferences. My name is John Bonifato, and here with me today is Scott Vitale. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and what you do in the conference space? Yeah, so um, along with Frank Belcarcel, I helped produce the very first Pi Colorado in 2019. So a regional Python developers conference that uh, was really focused on bringing together some of the Python communities that exist along the Front Range in Colorado. So spanning from the Denver area up to Boulder, up to Fort Collins, down to Fort Collins, or down to Colorado Springs, down to Pueblo. So we we have a pretty diverse, both um, geographically and uh, topic oriented community of, of Python developers. And so we we wanted to really bring everyone together in one space and meet each other because that that's something that we don't get an opportunity to do very often. So how did you get the idea for Pi Colorado? Where did where did this all kind of come together? It's a big jump from, you know, your your local Python meetup to a conference, you know, the size of that. I I mostly blame it on Frank and <laughs> he would probably laugh to hear me hear me say that. He and I met at PyCon one year, PyCon US and um, hit it off right away. We we're both from Colorado and just started talking about uh, different things that we wanted to do, different things we were interested in. At the time, I was organizing the Boulder Python meetup. Um, so I already had some experience with the Colorado community of Pythonistas. And Frank and I got talking actually during some of the pitches. If you if you know at PyCon US, they have pitches for all of the regional conferences where the conference organizer or someone from the conference will get up and talk about their conference and what makes their conference special. and. Um, encourage people to submit talks very often. And Frank turned to me during during the pitches and he said, why why don't we have one? Why doesn't Colorado have a regional conference? And it just struck a nerve with me because I I agreed with him 100%. We, there's all these amazing conferences that take place on the West Coast, Pi Cascades, North Bay Python, um, Pi Bay. And then the Midwest is full of them as well. You've got Pi Ohio and Pi Tennessee. Um, PyCon US was was held in Cleveland for a couple of years sequentially. So lots of great, um, not not to mention Pi Texas in the South. Um, and then of course on the East Coast, there's huge Python membership groups in in Boston and New York. Pi Gotham, as you well know, John, is a is a big one as well. So really like all regions of the US have these really vibrant Python communities. And we felt left out. We felt like Colorado should have one, and we didn't understand why we didn't have one. Thank you for bringing the Python conference space uh, to Colorado. That's awesome. About how long did that take, right? You saw all these, I forget how many people go up there these days, but the 20 or so conference organizers pitching their events. What was the, the time span between that and, and Pi Colorado? So that conversation happened in 2017. So we were at that point a little over two years out from when we had, when we ended up having Pi Colorado. And some of that was purposeful. We wanted to take our time and really understand the landscape. And uh, Frank was planning on attending a number of these other regional conferences as well. So he, he went and took notes about what he was seeing and what worked and what didn't work, what he liked. So we spent some time really sort of investigating what the space looked like, what things we wanted to emulate, what things we wanted to change and make our own. And so, Planning really kicked off, I would say, in earnest right around PyCon 2018. So, so about a year and a half out from when we had Pi Colorado. Big question is how'd it go? What was uh, what was the event like? Uh, you know, I think it went great. Of course, um, I 
I have to say that, I guess. You're biased. I'm biased about Pygotham. It's all, you know, we're all biased about our own events. Yeah. Earnestly speaking, like, I felt like everything went really, really well, especially for a first year conference. It's such, it can be such a stressful experience. And fortunately, some of my background was actually in the conference space. So I worked at a company called Spigot Labs that built um, event technology for conferences specifically. So I'd, I'd been to enough and I'd seen behind the scenes enough at some of these conferences that I had at least some idea of what I was walking into. And I think Frank, as a, as a business owner and an entrepreneur, I think he also had, you know, was set up pretty well to deal with uh, some of the problems you run into in organizing a conference. And so uh, I think we, we didn't entirely know what we were getting into, but we were really, really excited with how it turned out. And a big part of that was we, we really made a list of the things that we absolutely had to have our MVP of a conference and essentially worked up from there. So we attacked it just like we would any other software project and really only added things as we had the ability to both financially and, you know, in terms of our time and, and resources. Financially, you're really hitting on the topic here today. I am really interested in, in kind of breaking down some of the costs of it and figuring out where all that money goes. Right off the bat, what was the final bill? What was that check for? Our final budget um, was a total of $61,500. And interestingly enough, I think that number is pretty common. In, in the other uh, conference or organizers that I've talked to, first-year conferences that were about our size, so we ended up with around 250 attendees um, and a handful of, of vendors and sponsors. And I can't remember exactly what our speaker count was. I think it was around 20 speakers in total. For that size conference, that type of budget is pretty typical. Yeah, that certainly aligns with you know my own experience and, and what I've heard from others as well. I think that probably sounds like a ton of money to uh, to a lot of people, uh, especially, I mean, Pi Colorado is a volunteer-run conference, right? Yes. Like a lot of these other uh, Python conferences. Yeah, 100% of us were volunteers, right? So we we had a core staff of about eight people that were in charge of basically making the whole thing happen. And of course, we had some contractors that, that took care of specific things that we hired for specific roles. But in terms of organizers, people making choices about what happened at the conference, we were all volunteers. We were all very, very busy volunteers. Yeah, so that's a, that's a ton of money to raise on... Uh spare time volunteer run kind of effort what what actually does that cost break down to where does the the money end up going because uh you know at the end of the day there's probably not a lot difference between you know what you bring in what you pay out right yeah um for us we we basically broke even which was a an awesome place to be for a first year conference we couldn't be happier with with breaking even the conference was going to happen one way or the other we were we were convinced that it was the right thing to do but you know, looking at some of the big costs on the budget sheet, of course, the venue is the biggest item by far. So our venue, we held it at the Studio Lofts, which is part of the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. And part of our reasoning there was we wanted, this was one of our must-haves, we wanted a venue that had a lot of character. And we didn't want it to be in sort of a sterile hotel, Not not to... Not to dog hotel conferences too much, but especially for a first year, we wanted it to be a space where people came and, you know, felt like it was a memorable, memorable experience from the very first touch. And so we looked at a number of different venues and our, our big things were we wanted it to be downtown so people could easily walk to hotels as well as walk to restaurants and bars. You know, we wanted coffee shops 
easily available for folks that wanted to step out and work for a bit. And we wanted the space to be really comfortable. Um, we wanted it to be a comfortable place to chat with others and grab a cup of coffee and have a snack. We wanted it to be a comfortable space for the speakers. We wanted it to be a good space for the for the vendors and sponsors as well. You know, we were looking for something very communal. We didn't want something like a university where we'd be split out into a number of different rooms. Like we wanted it to be kind of one big comfortable space um, where we could really have an intimate experience with with everyone there. And so, you know, we we paid for that. We we could have gone to a university and, and gotten it a lot cheaper, but the studio loft was a very nice compromise. It was significantly cheaper than a hotel would have been. Uh, Frank had been to a conference that, that was held there previously, a JavaScript conference. So we knew that it fit sort of the vibe and the overall feel of a community conference. So we plunked down 32 grand to the venue. Like half your budget right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that, that's that's quite a bit. What what does that all include? Like, I mean, is it just the the physical space, and you're renting everything from chairs to coffee cups to what, whatever else might be there, or or is it kind of an all inclusive sort of deal? Yeah. So that was also one of the reasons why we went with the studio loft was they they included some of those big things. So they included all of the chairs. They included you know the podium. They included some basic AV, so we didn't have to bring in someone to do microphones you know, the, the microphone for the speaker, as well as microphone for asking questions. Um, so they covered a lot of those things. Those were included in, in the base venue cost. But a big portion of that, when you look at that 32,000, I think 80% of that was actually spent on catering. That's kind of your big line item is, is these two things together. You've got all your physical space and then whatever else is included that makes it usable as a conference center, right? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, and that's that's the biggest ticket item by far. You know, we we spent just under seven grand to have all of the talks recorded, have a videographer record the talks and post produce them and upload them to YouTube. So that was a sizable chunk as well. I'm looking down the list of line items, and pretty much everything else on here, you know, is like sub a thousand dollars. So everything else is pretty uh, pretty okay, pretty tolerable. And then you see that venue slash catering item, and it's like, holy cow. That, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, it's a ton of money for, uh, you know, getting a bunch of people in a room together for a couple of days, right? Yeah. All right. So we've got, we've got your venue and food together that, that comes to 32,000. Most of that is food, right? It's not cheap to feed 250 people. You've got your, your videography uh, for, you said 7,000. That brings yeah. us about two thirds of the way of your total costs. Is there anything else that stands out on that kind of like list of, uh, of major expenses? You know, kind of looking down the list, it's it's a lot of small stuff, what, what I consider small stuff. So just think about all the things that add up to the to the overall experience. So we had some swag, we had, you know, t-shirts and stickers that were the t-shirts we sold to to attendees at cost, but of course still part of the budget. Stickers, lanyards, badges, you know, we had a small opening reception. So that was another catering item that wasn't included with the venue. We ended up having a very nice speaker dinner for our 20-ish speakers. Um, so that was a you know pretty sizable, uh, almost three, three grand cost there. So yeah, it was sort of spread out between a variety of things. We had some printed signs that we had to get made. We had some swag bags that we bought, <laughs> you know, the, the hosting costs for the website. So yeah, it sort of breaks down into a lot of these small buckets that don't, they don't really seem like all that much individually, but you really need at least most of them to put on a conference. 
if nothing else, uh, you're making it a really memorable experience for, you know, not just the attendees, but the speakers. And they're going to want to come back and give another talk because Pi Colorado was great and come do that speaker dinner again, that kind of thing. And yeah, and that was a big part of it for us too, is, you know, the, the speakers that come to these, these Python conferences, I think all of the Python conferences are the same way. The speakers are not paid any kind of stipend for, for being there. And I think some conferences are nice enough to pay for some of their travel or lodging. Um, but, you know, for us, we were asking these folks to take time out of their busy schedule. Our conference was on a weekend. So we were asking them to take time away from their family and come to Colorado and, and give a talk and essentially not be compensated for it. You know, a big part of it for us was to make sure that they knew how appreciated they were and how important it was to us that, that they were there and that they got um, to experience the conference and we got to experience them at the conference. Yeah, it's really, it's hard to, uh, to find any time to actually be at a conference you're running yourself, right? Yeah, it, it is very difficult. It's um, for anyone who has, has gotten married, I would say it's very similar to that experience of, you know, you had a wedding, there are pictures to prove it, but it's difficult to recall even a single conversation when you think back. That is a pretty common thing I'll tell people when, when they ask about running conferences is like, well, imagine if you got 10 or 12 programmers together and said, hey, put on a wedding for two days straight. <laughs> um, and, and that's usually what community organized conferences uh, tend to look like. Yeah, it's a very, or it's a very, very similar picture for sure. You, you touched on this a little bit already, uh, but I wanted to revisit it because I think it's going to be interesting to a lot of people. 60 grand is a lot of money. Uh, and you mentioned you could have gone to right, a local university and maybe reduce those costs a bit. How much can that reduce the cost? And, and like, what are some of the other options you looked at and ultimately decided against? But uh, you know, maybe, maybe other folks might want to lower that bottom line a little bit. Yeah. So we considered um, one of the places we looked at was Metro State University, which is also here in Denver. It's a little bit south of downtown, so it's not quite as walkable. They have a student union that has a number of meeting spaces that would work well for a conference. I've, I've been to one other conference there. We looked at that space and price-wise, the venue cost was significantly lower, maybe two or three grand for the, for the space by itself, but it essentially included nothing, right? So you had to rent all your tables and chairs and any kind of speaker podium, any kind of AV. So there were a lot of add-ons that were sort of variable cost. And then, like I said, a big part of it for us was the feel of being all in one big space and having everyone kind of close together, which is like, it's feels so funny to say that in the time of COVID, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> I watch, I watch a movie with a, with a concert and I'm like, oh God, why are those people standing so close? But ultimately we did want to encourage that sort of close camaraderie and, and experience. And so in a space like Metro State, you could have that within the rooms where the speakers were. But as soon as you stepped out into the hallway, you were in essentially like a student union. And so people could gather in places and alcoves and that sort of thing, but there was not really a communal space to hang out. So I think, you know, we could have certainly saved some cost there and catering wise, we would have had to bring in all outside catering. So again, the price probably would have been a little cheaper, but it would have been more work on our part too. We would have had to physically go and get that stuff and bring it in. And so, um, for us, it was kind of a trade-off of two things, right? The, the cost, as well as how much overhead and, and effort was it going to take for us, and also what was the end experience like? So it was kind of those three things that we were that we were balancing and juggling between. If I'm starting my very first conference, right, and I have more time than money, 
uh, I can probably save, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars on go with an outside vendor, go with a less ideal venue, uh, but yeah. we'll still have a place where we can kind of host our talks. Yeah, and you know, for us, when we looked at that, we looked at that difference in price. I think, by the way, I think that estimate is right on. I think that's exactly right. You know, for us, that's essentially like the cost of one sponsor. We were in a place where we would much rather spend the time and effort to bring on one more sponsor and put, you know, have the conference in a space that we really loved. So it's kind of like, where do you spend your time, right? And for us, spending time bringing on one more sponsor was worth it. No, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that is a great way to think about it. And I think probably something that eludes a lot of people on, on their first go around. Since you brought up sponsorship, what does your breakdown look like for, for income? sponsorship, ticket sales. I'm assuming there are some other kind of miscellaneous things that brought in some money. Yeah. So from the sponsorship side of things, so I think we were around 25K non-sponsor income. So that includes um, sales of conference tickets, sales of workshop tickets. So we did one day of workshops prior to the conference um, that were focused uh, half day workshops where an individual speaker covered a topic you know, in depth for a class of, um, I think we limited our classes to 20 or 25 people. So between conference tickets and workshop tickets and the t-shirts that we sold, which again, you know, essentially we're just selling those at cost. And then we also got a grant from the PSF, which is something that any Python organizer specifically should absolutely know about. So the Python Software Foundation, in addition to running PyCon US, which is kind of their biggest event of the year, they also provide grants to all kinds of events and organizations and groups. And it includes things like regional conferences. So based on the number of people that we had coming for the regional conference and based on what types of things we were providing, in our case, it was talks as well as a educational component, the workshop component, the PSF offered us a grant of $3,800. So that was a nice little piece of income uh, that came directly from the Python community. So, all that to say, we we had about twenty five thousand in income that was non sponsor based, and then we had about fifty thousand in income that was specifically from sponsorships. Got it. So you've got two thirds of your 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 income is coming from sponsorship, uh, and and that's essentially subsidizing your ticket sales and things like that. Yeah, and for us, you know, and I think many Python conferences run this way. You know, the sponsorship is really what we use to pay for ninety percent of the costs. Um, in fact, we, we got that tip from the North Bay Python guys. Um, I, I talked to Chris and Josh, I think this was in 2018, and they gave a talk at PyCon US about organizing a conference. I was like, oh, how, how pertinent is this? But one of the things they specifically talked about was that they build their entire budget at the beginning of the year based around their expected sponsorship levels. Essentially, ticket sales just become kind of a bonus on top. It goes back to the MVP concept, right? You have your MVP conference based on your sponsor sales. And if you get additional sponsors or you end up selling more tickets than you expected to, then that's a little bit more money that you can apply towards add-ons, th things that are that are bonus on top. So that's a long way of saying that that's exactly what we try to do as well, right? We tried to focus mostly on sponsorships and set our conference prices low for the individual tickets, make sure that everyone that could attend and wanted to attend um, would be able to, and essentially use the sponsorship money to to subsidize that. That's great. Yeah. So I want I want to uh, take a quick detour into some very specific line items into your uh, 
into your budget because I think other folks will benefit from hearing about this. The first is what was your biggest surprise cost? So believe it or not, the big thing that shocked us was the cost of coffee. And so I don't know about you, John, I'm, I'm like a huge coffee drinker. I basically drink it from the time I get up until the time I go to bed. And for me going to a conference, especially a conference that I was running, having like a constant supply of coffee was a requirement. It was, it was something that was on our must have list. You know, we must have a, a venue that has character. We must have all day coffee. Um, so, so it started off as, you know, one of our key things, one of the things that we were, we were trying to deliver on, you know, without a doubt. And when I saw the price of coffee, I was mortified. It was the cost of providing all day coffee um, for two days was four grand. That's a lot of cups of coffee. And four grand. So that's, you know, the budget's only, only 55. So we're spending nearly 10% of our budget on just coffee. Well, it was probably well worth it if it, uh, <laughs> if, if it if it kept you going during the whole thing. It was it was good coffee, and and to be honest, I got up in my opening talk welcoming people to the conference, and that was one of the things I highlighted. I said, "We have brought you nothing but the best. We have brought you all day coffee." Uh, out of curiosity, where 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 the coffee come from? Was that through the venue as well, or did you uh, you know find a a local shop or a roaster? Yeah. So unfortunately we had to uh, run it through the venue and through their internal catering company. So catering contracts, right? Yeah. So it was, it was Illy coffee, which I'm, I'm not opposed to, but unfortunately we couldn't go with a, a small local well, roaster. We'll we'll do an episode someday uh, uh, just about catering contracts. Cause I think that <laughs> uh, so many things get dictated by that. Well, and I think that's, I mean, you know, I joke about the coffee thing, but that is kind of the big shock in all of this, even in someone that knows the conference space reasonably well. Um, the, the amount of time and effort that goes into dealing with the venue and the catering is just shocking, just absolutely shocking. Um, and we had it easy. You know, we, we had a venue that was you know, reasonably priced. We had a venue manager who was incredible. You know, he was very good at drilling down to exactly what we needed, not wasting a lot of time. In fact, when it came to some of the other catering costs in terms of food, we didn't provide meals, but we provided, you know, like a light breakfast and then snacks throughout the day. And we told them some of our important things were to have, you know, not just your hotel continental breakfast, but actually have some protein and some fruit and like have, have some good snacks for folks. And he was really good about um, just kind of working it and making it come together. So we, we told him what price we wanted to pay and we told him what things were important to us. And he figured out how to make it all work. We had it easy and it was still, it was still a, a tremendous effort. <laughs> so your catering budget then, I think I missed this before, you didn't have full meals, like you didn't have like a seated lunch or anything like that. We did not, yeah. So you spent uh, 80% of 31, right? That was like $24,000 on catering for light breakfast and, and afternoon snacks, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, in four, four grand of that was coffee. So a full 25% nearly of your your catering budget uh, what was your unlimited coffee? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty shocking. And you know, our conference was relatively small. We had like 250 people. You scaled that up to something like PyCon or, or even, 
you know, go bigger Oscon or, or one of the non-tech ones, an enormous amount of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty nuts. And, and for some of those conferences having fancy catered meals as well, right. The, the cost of catering just blows up in such a hurry. On the flip side of, or I guess in a similar vein, it's not really a flip side. I think you'd probably argue that the coffee that you paid for was definitely worth it. Was there anything else on your, on your list there that sounds really expensive, but was totally worth it? Um, so one of the snacks, and, and again, I, I hand this to my venue manager, Javier. He was, he was the man. One of our snacks on Saturday was this decadent cheese plate. It was like, I don't even know how many kinds of cheese, but it was impressive enough that not only did we hear about it Saturday afternoon, we, we heard people raving about this cheese plate. It showed up in our post-event surveys. Like we had people... You know, one of the questions was like, what was your favorite thing about Pi Colorado? And we had people answer that with the cheese plate was incredible. So again, it's kind of funny to talk about it, but it's a it's something that people walked away with, right? It was something that people felt was special about our event. And I hope that they enjoyed the talks as well, but I'm more than happy that they enjoyed at least the cheese plate. Well, so I mean, really what you're buying there is an experience, right? Uh, if what people are walking away with is is... You know, I really remembered that cheese plate, right? It's it's not the cheese itself. It's 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 being at this Python conference. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing that we're all shooting for. People talk about the hallway track at conferences as well. You know, all the time spent meeting other Python developers and seeing people that you know but haven't seen in a long time. And there's just, I think, especially in the Python community, there is so much more that is that conference experience beyond just the scheduled content. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And now on the flip side of, of both of those questions, was there anything that you regretted not paying enough for? What should people who are starting a conference definitely not cheap out on? We were also very happy to pay for the videographer. I think that was money well spent. I sort of debated doing something ourselves, doing a, a DIY video recording and production, and I'm so glad I didn't. In terms of hard lessons, I think the only hard lesson we had was don't try to organize three food trucks for lunch. So on, on Saturday, on the Saturday lunch, although we weren't catering lunch, we arranged to have three food trucks come and, and post up outside and basically be there for a quick and easy lunch for attendees. And that just turned into way more of a headache than we ever expected. So lots of options. I would not recommend food trucks. So is that something that might be worth trading that like time for money in the future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, again, since we were downtown and everything was very close and walkable, um, even just like lining up some predefined reservations with restaurants or discounts with certain restaurants, like I think that would even be preferable just because they're used to servicing a big load of, of people at lunchtime. Sure. I mean, you're unleashing 250 people. All right. I'll, I'll go, I'll go eat right now. Um, yeah. that, that's a lot to handle. How'd you handle all the money, right? You had something like uh, $75,000 coming in and, and, and 60 plus going out. That's a we, bunch of money to keep in your, your personal bank account. So we had an awesome hack for this and I'm, I'm like very excited about how this worked out and I would recommend it 100% to anyone running a conference, not even a first year conference, anyone running a conference. Um, so we actually got introduced by another conference organizer to a woman named Laura Wickett, who runs a company called Conference Ops. And 
she basically started working in the DevOps space. So there are all these DevOps days and DevOps based conferences. And they had the same problem that we all have, which is a lot of money coming in and out. Um, you know, you have to have some level of management in terms of tracking what people are spending and reimbursements and making sure that all that money ends up where it needs to be. So she essentially started a company doing just the accounting side of conference work. And the big benefit there is that you don't actually have to, well, first off, you don't have to deal with any of the money yourself. You have someone else who's essentially the holder of it all. But we also didn't have to set up any kind of conference bank account. We didn't have to set up a nonprofit. We did have an LLC that we set up, a Colorado LLC, just to manage. Um, some contracts require a signature um, from an LLC or from some kind of company. So there, there were some, some reasons why we had to set up the LLC. But we didn't have to deal with any of the money, the accounting, the reimbursements, the taxes at the end of the year. We didn't have to touch a bit of it. And Laura is great to work with. It was funny because we were introduced to her, as I said, by another conference organizer. And she's actually someone that I knew in college. Just totally a small world situation. And so I've known Laura for a very long time. I, I did not know she was doing this for a living. I did not, I didn't talk to her in um, probably close to 20 years. And so um, I got to sort of reintroduce myself to her and, and we got a really amazing service um, for Pi Colorado as a result. Awesome, because you don't have to deal with any of the nitty gritty details as someone who's done the filing taxes bit. It's the not fun part of running the conference. Yeah. Because I know people are going to be curious. There's got to be a time and money trade-off there too, right? What's kind of the, the ballpark of how much you might pay out of your conference budget to have all that handled for you? Um, so her fee is 6% of your gross. That worked out to about $3,500. You know, that's what, half a sponsor? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Calculated number of sponsors. And, you know, for us, it was beneficial as well because we didn't, you can definitely go the nonprofit route, which is uh, difficult and time consuming. That will work out nicely for you come tax time. But if you go the easy route and you do just an LLC, then you end up with pass-through income that affects your in individual taxes. And so that was definitely something that we wanted to avoid, you know, as, as the two co-producers of the event. So this was like, this checked so many boxes for us in terms of time and money and effort and um, just made things super, super easy. What's changing for next time? Yeah, I mean, I think the tricky thing right now is, of course, our, our situation with, with COVID-19, yeah. the global pandemic. I think um, you are one of the brave souls that, that continued and put on a virtual conference in the wake of this mess. And I think we're all learning right now. I think both the virtual conference organizers and the in-person conference organizers are paying close attention and taking a lot of notes over how this space is evolving. I'm not a believer that when we come out of it, most conferences will be 100% virtual. I think many conferences, probably the vast majority, will have some level of virtual component. Um, I think hybrid hybrid is kind of the magic word. And there'll be some balance between how, how hybrid is this conference, right? So I think the landscape is going to change drastically between now and when we start having these conferences again. So it's, of course, it's a little diff difficult to account for some of those things. Although I do think that some of the accessibility pieces are really appealing. Being able to not only have your close community, have your you know people that all live close to Colorado and have traveled to Colorado, but also extending that and including people from other parts of the U.S. and around the world. Um, people who either couldn't travel or are just 
interested in some of the talks or interested in, in some of the content that's being provided. I think finding a way to incorporate some of those virtual pieces is going to be important to me in the next go round. I think some of the other things that come to mind are, are things that we fell short on this time around. So we discussed providing some level of childcare. So again, our conference is held on weekends um, for people that have families that have young children. It's, it's a stretch and it's, it's a difficulty and it's a challenge to get there. And so uh, we looked at some other conferences that had provided some level of either a junior track, a children's track, or some level of babysitting. And I think that, especially in this modern world, um, is is absolutely key to to really reaching your entire audience. So we we definitely like to focus on that. And then also in terms of accessibility, I feel like offering scholarships to people um, and offering travel stipends to folks that can't afford um, to travel on their own. I think that is something that we all feel very strongly about. And it's a matter of, you know, both figuring out how to pay for that, probably from a sponsorship type perspective, but also uh, figuring out what the process is for choosing those people. I feel like I want to help folks come and have this experience with us, but I also know that it's going to be so difficult to look through a stack of applications and try to pick out the ones that we're going to um, award with scholarships. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a goal that we feel strongly about, but it's also one that's a little more difficult to plan out, a little more difficult to, to really nail down. You know, and then if I think of some of the some of the choices we made and what we would change, there's not a whole lot. I think we would actually use this, we would use the same venue again. Um, I think I would absolutely request the cheese plate again. It's definitely on my list. I think we'd make a few tweaks to, you know, our, our speaker lounge and our breakout area where people could go and pop open their laptop, you know, some minor things like that. But ultimately we were really happy with the vibe and, and with the interactions that we got and the feedback of people after the event. And so I think in many ways, we're going to do all the same stuff and just try to add on a few more of those things that, that mean a lot to us. My final question is, uh, do you have any advice for uh, people planning out their first conference budgets right now? Right. Um, obviously doing a virtual conference, uh, versus an in-person conference is going to look very differently. Um, they're going to have some things in common, but you know, from your experience doing, doing Pi Colorado right in person in, in a big venue, Altogether, what would you tell someone looking to do a, an event like yours? The number one thing is like you, you are not alone. John, when you and I first got on a call a couple of months ago, I think that was my realization of that phrase, that I was on this call with a number of other Python community conference organizers, and we all had a very similar shared experience. And it was both cathartic looking back at Colorado, and it was it was also something that really sort of opened a door that I should have known was there, but I, but I didn't really in that we've all been through this before. We've all had to solve a lot of the same problems. And so if you're organizing your very first conference or you're organizing your 10th conference, um, the community of conference organizers is powerful and broad. And there were so many people that we leaned on as part of Pi Colorado. You know, I, I mentioned uh, talking with Josh and Chris about North Bay Python. We had, Dustin Ingram from Pi Texas was one of our speakers. He he runs Pi Texas as well. Um, and then we we got all sorts of feedback from people that had been through it before. We connected with Ava Jud Judlowska, who runs uh, PyCon US. She's the director of the PSF. 
Um, she was one of our keynote speakers and provided some great feedback on, on our first conference. Having her there was, was super, super special. And just being able to reach out to other organizers and not just Python organizers, we got our, our first budget from a JavaScript organizer that runs conferences in town. We looked at um, a number of talk submission platforms that were used by another conference organizer that I knew that was based here in Denver that runs like iOS conferences. So I, I guess the net of it is no matter what kind of conference you're running, there are so many tools and so many, so many questions to figure out that you don't really have to figure out. They're, they're out there and people are willing to share them. We're all super willing and excited to share them. And that goes for all of our stuff as well, right? You know, I, we talked very transparently about our budget costs and what went into it. And I would be happy to take that exact sheet and send it to any conference organizer um, to dig through and figure out for themselves. Um, because it's just, we're, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. We're all trying to bring together these communities that are important to us. And so much of it is done already. And in fact, I mean, John, you, you sent me your, uh, your GitHub repo of little utilities to, to do all sorts of random Pygothamy things. And I, I have one of my own as well. So, you know, it's, it's like, there are all these pieces that you don't think of. Yeah, well, I think that is a wonderful note to leave on. You know, there are a lot of us out here. We're all in this together. We want to see everybody create, you know, these these great community events. Before we go, uh, any any parting words? Uh, any uh, anything to pitch? Um, I I don't think I have a pitch right now. Ordinarily, I'd say, oh, the next Pi Colorado is on this date. We would love to see you there. But no, I mean, my parting pitch is really just everyone stay safe and take care of yourself during this crazy, crazy time. And keep in mind that we will all come together again. We'll all get to enjoy these types of events and enjoy each other's company and enjoy the camaraderie that goes along with it. It's just a matter of when, and that's something we can all wait for. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Where can we find you online? Um, so I am SV Vitali at literally every platform under the sun. So I'd suggest following me on Twitter. That's probably where I'm most active. Yeah, feel free to reach out anytime directly. Uh, I always like to talk to people that are working on something new or have an idea or want to run something by me. So I, I would love to hear from you and hear your ideas and figure out if I can help at all. So. Cool. Thanks. Well, we'll have you back soon. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks, Scott.